Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I saw a Facebook post today that hit me like a punch in the gut. I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it said this. And just like that, 1999 was 20 years ago. (laughs) Holy smoke. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can open your Bibles. Uh, Actually, you know what? I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat. After I said I'd try not to throw you any, it'll be, I'll just be this one at the beginning. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. This is a passage from a letter that Jeremiah wrote the captives right after uh, Babylon had conquered the southern kingdom. There were people who stayed behind. There were people who were carried away into Babylon. And, of course, this is not where they wanted to be. They had, uh, they had hoped, of course, that judgment wouldn't come. It had been prophesied. They had been warned uh, that it was coming. And they had even gathered to themselves prophets who told them, don't listen to sad sacks like Jeremiah. Our God has never let us down. He's not going to let us down now. Uh, Babylon might look scary, uh, but God will give us victory over them. And Jeremiah is like, uh, you're going into captivity, not because God is weak or because God is faithless, but because God promised you that this would happen if you didn't jerk the slack out, stop worshiping idols, and do all the other stuff that he's given you hundreds of years to stop doing. Here comes judgment. Get ready. So here's the letter to the captives who were at a very, as you can imagine, uh, very low point. And uh, beginning in verse 4, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Now, this is the Lord speaking a very good word in a very bad situation. They are in tears. They are in the worst situation in their history, as far as the, certainly as far as they're concerned. 
And really, it's the thing that God never wanted to happen, but promised them uh, had to happen. But in the midst of fulfilling this act of judgment, he's promising deliverance. You know, you're not going to be here forever. You're going to be here long enough to build houses and raise children and grandchildren. Uh, but you're not going to be here forever. I want you to multiply while you're in this land. I want you to seek the peace of the city. I want you to live peacefully while you're there. You know, I'm not sending you in here to, to break rocks and be slaves. You're just not going to be autonomous anymore. I'll bring you back in 70 years. I have a good plan for you still. And now I want you to turn to Psalm 126. And we'll read the whole thing. It's only six verses long. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And we're going to look at those last three verses, four through six, because there are times in the believer's life when we are in tears, hard seasons in life, okay? Uh, when I talked about the specific thing that God was saying in the passage in Jeremiah that we read, in this case, the thing that they were suffering was of God. I mean, it wasn't God's heart's desire, you understand, but God did specifically orchestrate uh, Nebuchadnezzar's rise to power, Babylon's rise to power, so that he could use them uh, to, to uh, work this judgment, this, this season of judgment and discipline on his for the purpose of bringing them back to himself. Not always in these, in, in, certainly, uh, we, we, we live in an age now, the age of grace, right? Uh, we're not recipients of God's judgment. We're not recipi recipients of, of God's anger and his wrath, uh, but we still live. There are going to be seasons of tears, and I'll give you a scriptural uh, basis for this. You know it. I mean, Jesus said we'd have trouble, right? And we live in a fallen world where these things touch us from time to time. And God still has a good plan. But when we read this, uh, I'm sorry, the last two verses, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. How many of you, when you read that, do you say, do you picture this, the tears, the weeping actually being the sowing? I'm sowing tears, but I'm going to reap joy. That's kind of the imagery that flies off the page, that every tear is a seed, that God is counting every, tea, every tear, and he's going to cause that to be turned into joy someday. But that's not what this passage is saying at all. Tears are, and God, it's not that God's not compassionate. And it's not that God is not interested in justice. He is. But the tears are not what we sow. We'll come back to this. Well, let's don't. We'll come back to it, but let's get this out in the open. What he's saying here is that you continue to sow what you need to sow even in your tears. You reap what you sow. 
and there are things, we're going to look at, the, there, there's a list much longer than the one we're going to share tonight, but there are things we are supposed to be actively sowing. The law of sowing and reaping, right? Things that we're supposed to be planting in the world around us, in our relationships, in our life, if we want to see a harvest. Tears are not seeds. We don't, we can't sit there and wallow in self-pity, even though the situation, even though the circumstances are genuinely tough, sorrowful. We can be sorrowful and we can cry, but we're called to sow even in the midst of those tears. And it's those who sow in those times of trials through those tears that will reap in joy. If we fail to sow during the times of tears, there won't be a crop for harvesting. So my question is, or the thing we're going to look at tonight, what are we supposed to be sowing? What, what are the things that, uh, that he's talking about here? There's a number of things. Uh, naturally, and of course, we just wrapped up a year of giving. A lot of times when we talk about sowing and reaping, we're taught, we talk about money, right? Uh, and that's certainly one of the things, but that's not one of the things we're going to be looking at tonight except sort of on the oblique, as it were. Uh, but let's start with this one. Sow righteousness. Uh, you can turn to Psalm 23. Or listen as I read it, very famous psalm, often uh, printed on funeral programs. And so it's come to be associated with death, but it's a psalm of life. I think the phrase in there, the shadow of death, is what gets it uh, worked into so many uh, funeral programs. But uh, it's not. It's not a psalm about death. Uh, This is the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, we'll start with verse 1. Read the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you should underline that, paths of righteousness. Because uh, there's a couple ways we need to think about righteousness. And the first one, the most important one, is positional righteousness. God has made promises that are specifically for, (coughs) excuse me, the righteous. And so we can get very bogged down and out of faith quickly when we become so aware of our own unrighteousness. And so therefore, God goes to great pains in the epistles, speaking through these great men of God, Paul particularly, to make it clear to us that our righteousness, the righteousness that we need, the positional righteousness, to to be legal recipients of all the good promises of God, is not on us. That's all on Jesus. It's his righteousness that qualifies us for all those good promises. We get them because we're in him. But there are also what, what the psalmist here, what David calls paths of righteousness. This is us walking this righteousness out. And he leads us on those paths, not for the sake of our blessing, but for the sake of his name. We walk this righteousness out. We walk on paths of righteousness to the glory of his name, out of gratitude for the righteousness that he has clothed us with, his own righteousness, okay? So, walking on these paths of righteousness is a manner of sowing righteousness. I'm going to behave righteously. My sorrow, my pain, my, the circumstances that put me in a season of tears are never a license to stop sowing righteousness. They are never a license to get off the path of righteousness, Many times uh, we use our hurt as a permission slip to sin, and it's not. So we sow righteousness. Excuse me. 
If I still sound terrible, I'm sorry. I'm so much better, and I'm sorry about Sunday. I, uh, man, I got up here, and I felt, uh, I did not feel sick. I felt a little foggy, and my main problem Sunday was I was utterly sleep-deprived from spending a couple nights, uh, three nights in a row, coughing my head off. Uh, but my voice was just shot, and I thought, well, I'm doing okay. And then uh, I was listening to uh, some podcasts while I was cleaning the kitchen the other day, and uh, I don't know how yours is set up. I don't really set up a playlist. I find one I want to listen to, and I click it. And then if my hands are in the water and stuff, I don't pick another one. I just listen to which one ever comes up. Well, it was a Living Word family podcast that came up, and it's my Sunday sermon. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, oh, no, it sounds terrible. Uh, you guys probably didn't want to be within 10 feet of me after listening to me. And it still sounds a little rough. I feel like a million bucks now because I have slept uh, the sleep of the just the last couple nights. So thank you for those of you who uh, continue to lift me up. Anyway, where were we? Uh, we, we? We sow righteousness. What else do we sow? We sow forgiveness and mercy. We sow forgiveness and mercy. And this is one we sow particularly because that's something... Every one of us is going to need to reap at one time or another. You wanna, if you want to, uh, well, let's read the passage before I preach it. In Luke chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 27. I'm going to read a little bit of it here. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be like sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be for, will be forgiven. What's that verse sounds like? Sounds like sowing and reaping, doesn't it? And then look at this. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I want you to see something here. In the context of this passage, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The context here is mercy and forgiveness. Does that mean it doesn't apply to our offerings? No, it doesn't. It absolutely does apply to our offerings. Let me give you an example, uh, and we'll come back to this. In James chapter 1, there's a very, James chapter 1 is pretty famous period, but this passage you'll all be familiar with, most of you, beginning in verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, what's this passage talking about? It's talking about praying for wisdom, right? If you lack wisdom, here's what you need to do. Ask God for wisdom. Why? Because it's a characteristic of God that when you ask for wisdom, he gives it, and he gives it liberally. He gives it without braiding or reproaching you. But if you want that response from God, ask in faith. What's he saying here? Ask expecting to get from God. Because if you doubt, you're double-minded. And then he says this. He doesn't say, let not that man expect that he'll receive wisdom from God. He says, let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from God. He starts with a specific example, wisdom, and then he applies it to a larger, broader general principle. If you're going to ask God for anything, don't doubt. Same thing with this passage. I believe Jesus' primary focus in this passage, given it shall be given unto you, is mercy. You sow mercy, you sow forgiveness, because that's what you want to reap from other people, right? And so you sow it and do it generously. Same measure that you sow, that's what you'll reap with. So the specific there is mercy, but the broader principle is everything. It applies to my offering too. If I'm going to be skimpy with my offering, if I'm going to give an 8% tithe, <laughs> that's an oxymoron, you know, because tithe means tenth, uh, then I don't, I don't uh, have any right to expect an abundant return town shaking together and running over that's the kind of uh, harvest i want right so anyway uh so yeah this bigger principle is uh is is, is everything but he's talking here about mercy so uh man unless you are walking so circumspectly and so perfectly that you never have to worry about being judged never have to worry about needing forgiveness then you want to walk in a way where you are sowing so much mercy and so much patience and long-suffering with people that, man, it's, it's like a bank account. When you need the mercy, it's there. All right? And I'm talking here from other people. God is merciful. Uh, but, but, but it's, uh, you know, it's like when Jesus said, if, if you don't forgive others, it won't be uh, your Father in heaven won't forgive you either. I do not believe uh, not even for a second that he's saying that if we harbor unforgiveness, if you offend me, if you steal from me, you, you do something to harm me, and I harbor unforgiveness toward you, I don't think that costs me my salvation. I think my salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. However, I believe that God is going to hold me responsible for everything that I do, and I'm going to pay the full measure. I'm going to reap every consequence of, of my evil actions because I am in my mind holding you responsible and I want to see you suffer the consequences of every evil action. But man, if I just, God, I forgive them, I release them, guess what that triggers? A release of that in my life as well. That's good news. It's a good thing to sow, mercy. So, what else do we sow? We sow righteousness. We sow forgiveness and mercy. We sow steadfastness. I want you to see this back in Psalm 126. In verse 6, it says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. Once again, 
so important that we see this. Because when he who continually goes forth weeping, this is, what, oh, this, is what, this is what God wants. He wants me to be continually weeping. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that he who is weeping but continually goes forth bearing seed for sowing. Steadfastness in the tears. Man, I'll tell you what, I, and I'm not taking anything away. If, if your life is going great, you haven't, you haven't had, maybe you've had moments, but you haven't had a season of tears since you can remember. And so you're happy. That person, it's, it's pretty easy to get off track too. Sometimes it's, it's easy to not to be steadfast in the good times because, hey, you know, we just feel a little bit of, uh, there's no pressure. Um, there, there's nothing leaning on me right now. I'm just going to... Uh, you're, you're like the rich farmer. I'm just going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones because uh, things are so good here. I'm just going to keep storing up all the good stuff for myself. It's a, it's a challenge in the lean times. It's a challenge in the fat times. Uh, but we're here. We're dealing with the particular struggle of the season of tears. It's so easy to get bogged down, to feel sorry for ourselves. And uh, I just need a little me time. And that's, again, there are, there are seasons of rest. There are absolutely seasons of rest. I'm not saying, man, you've got to go 100 miles an hour 24-7. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, going back to these specific things, the seasons of tears don't give you an excuse not to be merciful and forgiving. The seasons of tears don't give you an excuse not to be righteous. And the steadfastness is a super important ingredient he who continually goes forth, and I would put it this way, the Scott Mills translation, even while weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Just sum up that verse by saying, don't give up. What else can we sow? We can sow praise and worship. We sow our praise and worship in Psalm 91 not going to read the whole thing. I'll read a chunk of it here, beginning in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Now, that's very encouraging. Except, do you realize that what this is telling us is that uh, there will be snares, pestilence, arrows, destruction this whole just talking about god being our fortress what do we need a fortress for so again he's not he's not promising us promising us a world where we see and experience nothing but sunshine lollipops and rainbows did you see that coming <laughs> that's he's not he's saying he's going to protect you in the midst of all these things but all these things are there and how are we supposed to respond in the middle of that? In the next psalm, in, in Psalm 92, it says, It is good. 
beginning in verse 1, to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, is that they may be destroyed forever. That's an important verse there, that verse 7. That here we're talking about how worthy God is to be praised. And it's a good thing to sing these praises. Uh, but you've got to have the right perspective. Because it's easy to get your eyes off God and look around and see what's happening. The wicked are flourishing. And if you don't keep your eyes on God, that's something that will shake you. We see that Psalm of Asaph really develops that. Remember, I scratch my head. I look and the evil are triumphing everywhere I work. I don't understand. You know, we, it's one thing to struggle with why do bad things happen to good people. Here's Asaph wondering why do so many good things happen to bad people. And we see the wicked triumphing. But we see the long game. We see the whole picture, the big picture. They're flourishing, but they're going to be destroyed. God is faithful. God is true. God is to be feared. And he's to be worshipped and praised when we are enjoying the manifest blessings of God and when we are going through the tears. He is still God and still worthy of our praise no matter how we feel. So you understand, it's an act of sowing when we praise I love it. I was trying to preserve my voice, but I was yelling on that last song because I'm feeling it. Okay? That's when praise and worship is fun. We have got to get past this mindset that when I'm not feeling it, it's fake, so I might as well not do it. Nonsense. God is still God, and we're commanded to sing these praises. I challenge you, when something that would maybe you look back to your bc days and maybe you open a letter or you see something experience something uh, step on your toe something bad happens maybe it's sudden what used to come out of your mouth don't say it but you know maybe sometimes that old man still rears up and you swear uh, you cuss you say something that, that that's uh, unedifying uh, man what if we just traded those those words for things like hallelujah don't say it as a cuss word you understand don't want to profane it but say praise the lord thank god why because i'm really happy that i hit my thumb with a hammer or an unexpected car repair or something like that no because god is still good even in those times He's still worthy of my hallelujahs and my praise, right? Why am I saying that? Oh, stop pretending to be happy. I'm not pretending to be happy. I'm reminding myself that God's still on the throne and he's still God. So say these things. If we are sowing, all right? We continue to express our faith in God. And it's important. And uh, we'll wrap it up with this. Yeah. We sow faith and faith-filled words. You know, talk about this from time to time. There's the, it's one thing to say we're a, we're a faith church, and another to say we're a word of faith church. There's a difference. It's one faith, one God, one faith, one baptism. Faith is a gift from God. But it is words 
that activate faith in our lives. You know, salvation itself starts with what? In Romans chapter uh, 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Our very salvation starts with a confession. And confess what? With your mouth. Say these things. Does God need to hear them? God knows, right? Yet there's, but there's still power in the words. And that's a principle that goes back to creation. In the beginning. How did God create? By imagining and projecting his thoughts and will. Now, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, and God said, and God said, let there be, let there be, let there be. And there was, and there was, and there was. It's a principle that goes back to creation. It's a principle that goes back to our salvation. And it's a principle that certainly applies to our day-to-day life. To sit there and think in our seasons of tears, why isn't it going better? I believe God. And thinking these things, not saying them, I believe him. I look at all the stuff that he paid for. I wonder why it's not working. I wonder why it's not working. Is not going to activate a thing in your life. What did Jesus say? Say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. God doesn't need to hear it. Our mountains need to hear it. Our bodies need to hear it. Right? Speak to these things. And sometimes it'll seem silly. Just like praying in tongues can seem silly. Until you get used to it, you realize what a blessing it is. How many of you can remember, there's no right or wrong answer. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual. I'm just, just wondering. How many of you, how many of you uh, and I know not everybody had this experience. How, some, some of you, you don't need to raise your hands. I just want you to think about it. Some people, when you, when you first spoke in tongues, you had to crank it out. The person praying for you perhaps is saying, just open your mouth, say something, and you're la, la, ba, ba. You know, you just, just make it a noise and let God do something with it. And then at some point, maybe later on, it may be at 30 seconds after that, maybe 30 days, maybe three years after that, something just it springs up in you, and it's all you can do. Like you go, to, you go to speak, you go to pray, you go to praise, and it's like there's nothing English that's right there, so you just, but, but you can't hold it in. I, you can't wait to think of the right words. And, ah, son of a mostly could have a beyond that. Like, anybody know what I'm talking about? It just got easy all of a sudden. Yeah. Same thing. Out of discipline, we make ourselves say the right thing. And then next thing you know, we're trained to say the right thing. Where our immediate response to seasons that bring tears is to say these situations cannot stay. This is not my portion. I'm not going to pretend to enjoy where I'm at now, but I'm not going to stop sowing. I'm not going to stop walking in righteousness. I'm not going to stop walking in forgiveness. I'm going to continue to speak faith, and I'm going to continue to praise God. And that steadfastness is going to yield what? It means that I'm going to be reaping with joy. It's not, I sow tears and reap joy. That's such a... uh, 
simplistic way of putting it, that God looks and he, he, it says God balancing the scales. Oh, don't worry. You've cried gallons of tears. All that means is you're going to reap multiplied gallons of joy. Not what he's saying at all. He's saying, even though you have wept, you have been faithful to sow during those times of weeping. And that means when you reap, Oh, you're going to be reaping in joy. Why? Because even through those tears, you've been sowed, you've been sowing, and therefore your harvest is great because you didn't miss a season of planting there because of the tears. You sowed anyway, and so the harvest is going to be abundant. And what happens when your harvest isn't abundant? Is it an abundant harvest? Woohoo! This is a great harvest! Versus the person who, you know, they go through a season of tears, and again, I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. Okay? I've been there. But if you take that time, I'm just going to check out. God, I'm not going to pretend to praise you because I'm not happy with my life right now. And who, and who knows how far you take that. You're really only just one step away again from using your, your, your hurt as a license to sin. Who knows how far you stray. Maybe it turns into a whole season of life. The vagabond years, right? And then what? Then you've got a season where there's no harvest because there's been no planting. And God's still good. And there'll be a sprig of something here to keep you going. But you're like, wow, where's the abundance? Well, man, there wasn't no seed there. There was nothing sown there. So let me, let me, let me uh, encourage you with this. Praise and worship team, you can come on up here. If you have been in a season of tears, which you have basically allowed the devil to steal some time from you, and you're like, Scott, this is, this is a great word. I agree with you. So it's the word of God. But I got to admit, I hadn't been sowing. So do I have to get through this season, this sparse season? Uh, how long do I have to wait? And I don't have an answer for you. I have an answer for you. It's, it's just not a mathematical formula for you. Uh, do you remember when uh, John Grunewald was here last time? He said this, and I know he didn't make this up. But I loved hearing him say it, uh, and maybe you've probably heard this. You know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. You know what the second best time is? Right now. I can't tell you if you're in a season where things are sparse now, and if you can identify, if you're real honest, you know what? Haven't sown. All I can tell you for sure is don't wait another day. Plant that tree now. But also, I would encourage you with this. I've come to know God in a way that makes me very confidently say to you, it doesn't have to be long. Because God delights in bringing a big harvest, a good harvest, an abundant harvest into your life. He wants to see you reaping with joy, not just reaping the joy. He wants to see the joy that comes when you reap that abundant harvest. Don't waste time sowing. Don't use your tears as an excuse to check out. Be faithful. Sow during the tears. And one of the things we need to confess, stand up with me. One of the things we need to confess is, since, since our words are powerful, since we believe in the confession of faith. The word confession, homologeo. You guys familiar with that, that Greek word? And I'm not a Greek scholar. But that word, confession, uh, depending on the translation you're, you're reading, it might say admit. You know, when we confess our sins, admit. Uh, that doesn't get it. Uh, homo geo means to say the same 
or to say with, to, uh, to agree with God, but to agree by saying. It's not just a mental agreement. The logeo is the word. To say together with God, to say about your situation what God says about your situation. And we're talking about confessing our sin. It's simply agreeing with what God says about our sin, not denying it. But there's power in our confession. So one of the things we need once we recognize the power of our words is what has God said about my situation? And if I'm in a season of tears, man, let's identify. What's bringing these tears on? It might be easy to identify. I'm sick. Uh, I'm broke. Uh, there's, a, there's a terribly dysfunctional relationship with a family member. These things are not from God. So I, I just call those things healed. I call them paid. I call them restored. Because this is what Christ died for. This is, what it, is, this is the abundant life. It's not going to stay this way. Praise God. Thank God who gives always leads me in his triumph. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, uh, let me wrap it up with this. For real this time. Don't waste another day. Determine today you're going to be sowing in the good times and the bad times. Continually so all the good things look forward to the harvest and call it forth with your mouth commit to faithfully speaking these things it makes a difference and finally going back to Romans chapter 10 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ believe in your heart God's raised from the dead you'll be saved let's start with that confession is that confession you made is he your Lord your Savior do you agree with him about your sin? Is that a decision you've made to become his child? Have you recognized your need for salvation? If you haven't, let's start there. God gives seed to the sower. He promises that to his children. And I'm looking around, and I think, I think everybody's made that decision. If there's somebody in here who hasn't, don't let me thinking that dissuade you from coming down and receiving God's gift of eternal life. He paid a dear, dear price to save you. He paid with the life and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can make that decision tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. If you want to come up here, give your life to Christ. Or if you want to come and, and, and just make a commitment to start sowing those things. Uh, you can do that at the altar. I can pray with you. You can do it out there. There's nothing magical about the geography. Just want to know, want you to know the altar's open. I'm available to pray with you. Above all, if you need to get saved, uh, come see me when we start singing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for this challenge. Thank you for this correction. Uh, we know that you desire abundance for us. You're a good God. You, you love to bless us. But we also know that as long as we're living in this sin-sick world, there'll be, there'll be times of tears. Help us to be found faithful, to continue to sow steadfastly, continually during the hard times so that we can reap joyfully in the time of harvest. Help us to honor you with our lives. Bring glory to your name to manifest your goodness before a world so indeed the nations will say, God has been good to them. I pray, Lord, now through
there's anybody in the sound of my voice who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus, your Son, as Savior, that they would come to know you tonight. Convict the sinner of his or her need for a Savior as only you can. Grant them the humility, the wisdom, the boldness, everything they need to come and receive that free gift of eternal life tonight. In Jesus' name, all the believers said, Amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.